The Guardian. Hello again, this is Michael White with the Guardian's Daily Election podcast. It's Friday today. The new government is almost completed. I've looked at the list of some of the names. Quite astonishing who's got jobs and, of course, who hasn't. And, of course, we're back in the Palace of Westminster talking to MPs, taking the temperature again, seeing what's going on. I'm back in Portcullis House looking around seeing what's going on. Ah, there's James Forsyth, very brainy young political editor of The Spectator magazine. Hi, Tory magazine. It's been around for 300 years. Let's find out whether he's got a long view of this extraordinary week just ending. Big Conservative home poll today saying, contrary to what they thought last week, that 69% of Tories think it'll be good for the country. Well, I think this has been the story, really, of the week, is Tory MPs who told you, well, I can stomach it as long as there's no vote on AV, then there's a vote on AV, and they can still stomach it. Uh, So I think the story has been that the power of reality is quite strong, and as soon as something happens, people don't want to oppose it. So I think we'll have to wait a little while before we start hearing the soundings off. I mean, it's a sort of pragmatic side of the Conservative tradition, reasserting itself over the more cerebral and more ideological side which we've seen on and off for so many years. This is sort of, here's where we are, let's get on with it side. Yeah, and I think there's also a kind of cerebral argument for the coalition. People are saying, look at the history of the 19th century, the, you know, the reason the Labour Party made so many advances in the 20th century was Liberals and Conservatives split, you know, Peelites and Canningite Tories and Palmerston and all Gladstone and all this. So there's an idea... morphing and the, yeah. the, the background of the novels of Anthony Trollope. Exactly. Like so the kind okay. of feeling is that, the kind of, that, that, that this is the kind of Gladstone, policy of Gladstone reasserting itself, who was, of course, a Tory at the beginning. He defended slavery in his first speech, I seem to remember, in about 1850. I think the coalition will be doing that. You never know. Anyway, that's a long view picture of it. So, how does it develop? Because they have terrible choices uh, to face, particularly on cuts. Tory MPs say to me, well, it'll be great. It won't be Tory cuts, Maggie, 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 out, out, out. It'll be Libcon cuts. And they'll, what's more, we'll get the credit and they'll get the blame. Well, I think this is a really interesting question. I mean, George Osborne is um, said to have regarded cover-on-cuts as the real prize on offer in these negotiations. By cover-on-cuts, you mean liberal cover? Yeah, exactly. And he's got David Laws as Chief Secretary to the Treasury, and and so, you know, he will be the man wielding the axe. Now, I think what will be very interesting is how we'll see the trust levels here. Will the Lib Dems want to propose cuts that are more bold and more radical than what the Tories are thinking about and are more bold and radical than things in the Lib Dem That's manifesto? That was during the election, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, but, no, but will they be prepared to, to, to suggest things that are that, you know, ending the universality of child benefit, for example? Which is one option if you really were serious about cuts. In other words, if you have an income below a certain level. Yeah. I know what lots of people in Conservative circles argue is don't raise that, but just massively simplify it. So basically take away nearly all the exemptions apart from the exemptions on children's clothes and what food. What about newspapers, he said quickly? Um, I, I hear that magazines are in danger but newspapers aren't. Oh, thank you. So seems a trouble. sensible compromise here. Uh, right, I'm sorry to hear that for you, of course, for The Spectator, <laughs> never mind. Uh, we think David Laws is a clever fellow, don't we? We think David Laws is a very clever fellow. And be Former very... investment banker, as yeah. in to remember, with dirty word these days. It wasn't yeah. when he ceased to be one, took mm-hmm. over Paddy Ashdown's seat in, yeah. in Yeovil and Somerset. I know the whole story that Paddy Ashdown was convinced that um, he was a Tory plant because he couldn't believe that someone like this was a Lib Dem. Of course, Paddy Ashdown didn't really want this deal, did he? He wanted to go back to where he was with Tony Blair in 97 before the landslide spoiled it all. Yeah. 
I mean, Paddy's very loyal to Nick Clegg, so I think we won't hear, but he, it was clear from his Today programme interview that he would rather have done a deal with Labour. Yeah. And of course, remember that Osborne and Laws have previous in that um, Osborne, uh, just after David Cameron became leader, knocked on David Laws' door and rather abruptly asked him to defect to the Conservative Party. I didn't know that. How interesting. Thank you very much. And just finishing a conversation with three people is Peter Riddle of the Times. He's been around this building almost as long as I have, poor chap, but he's made an interesting switch. He's gone off to work for something called the Institute of Government, funded by Lord Sainsbury, just on the other side of the Mall, which has been helping prepare for the possibility of coalition government. A lot of ex-civil servants, retired mandarins, have been going along there to work, give their advice, preparing papers, doing documents. In his column in the Times, this morning, Peter Riddle makes a really fascinating point, and I'm going to ask him to explain it because I happen to agree with the point he's making. Well, most new prime ministers, when they come in, um, move the furniture around, or rather even further than that, they change the house totally, and they create new departments, close them. But all the evidence is that's very expensive, very disruptive, and normally counterproductive. And what David Cameron's done, even though we've got the innovation of a coalition, is he hasn't changed the machinery of government. Um, He's left departments where they were, even where there are some problems. What he's clearly decided to do is see how the current arrangements um, bed in, and then have another look in a year to 18 months. There might have been a temptation to recreate the old education department, which, which also included universities and skills. He hasn't done that. Universities and skills remain in the business department. David Willits will be running those under Vince Cable. And all that's happened at the old children's families department, which was seen as very new labour and very Ed Balls, was to change the name. So we now got an education department like every other country. But it, it, it's a rebranding, but not a changing round of people, which is a really disruptive thing. We're back in Portcullis House. The sun is shining through the big glass atrium roof. And under a fig tree in the distance, I can see three politicians uh, talking to each other, cross-party politicians. Charles Walker, uh, relatively new Tory MP. Mark Field, representing uh, that rather grand and distinguished constituency, the cities of London and Westminster, in other words, the north bank of the Thames, uh, from... Westminster Abbey to St Paul's and with them is uh, Judy Malibar. Now that's interesting. Uh, She's the Labour MP for Amber Valley uh, uh, in the north and uh, I think she lost her seat, I'm not sure. Former trade union official. Let's go and see if they'll tell us what they're talking about so animatedly. Hi, Judy Malibar. I was Member of Parliament for Amber Valley for 13 years and I've just lost my seat to the Tories very narrowly but very disappointing. And I'm Mark Field, the Conservative member for the cities of London and Westminster, where fortunately uh, I was able to win. Uh, I should hope so too in the city of London <laughs> actually, and Westminster. The very, the very last non-Conservative was a Liberal, in fact, um, which is rather appropriate given what's happened in the last few days. That was John Stuart Mill, who uh, was a one-term member between 1865 and 1868. The things you learn, I did not. Did you know that, Judy? Malibu? I did not know that. Well, one of the things we were saying was how delighted I was that Karen Buck got in right next door, who was a very marginal seat, who of course had a rather controversial Tory candidate who made a ranting speech against the press when she lost cash. Actually, to be fair, Karen is very hardworking and uh, she's inherited two of my awards, which I did my best to try and keep as conservative as possible, but I I think uh, she was able to do a a hell of a lot of work there. Um, But it was interesting, uh, Judy was just saying how the swings against Labour in London uh, were considerably lesser than they were in other parts of the country and therefore a whole range of seats uh, either both stayed within uh, their 
their view or, or beyond that. Now, Mark Field, you've obviously thought about that. A lot of people have. Uh, Fraser Nelson of The Spectator wrote somewhere today uh, that Karen Buck represents a new trend, which is the assertion of independence by MPs, and people who were more self-assertive on the Labour ranks hung on. But it's, it can't be as simple as that, can it? Um, I think, actually, what did happen, in fairness, in a lot of the cities where Labour did desperately badly in 2005 because of the Iraq war, there was a sense in which there was a bit of a, a swing back uh, towards Labour from the Liberals. But the one thing I would say is uh, Labour has done remarkably well in this election. It's one of the great untold stories. To, to end up with 258 seats, which is 60 more than we had in the last Parliament, it certainly provides a base for a relatively quick bounce back. And I think you know, from the, the sense of having a very unpopular Prime Minister, an exhausted government after 13 years, I think it makes for uh, an interesting political situation because I'm afraid the very difficult economic decisions haven't gone away in spite of the euphoria of the new coalition. And they'll have the words Lib Con on them, won't they? No, Judy Malibar, your colleagues who won are all quite buoyant. Mark Field is quite right. They're quite bucked. How do you feel from uh, your perspective as somebody who lost a seat? Well, I'm, I'm still in hyper-campaigning mode, so I've been talking to my neighbouring MPs that won and my local party <laughs> on how we can keep going and doing things. And in fact, Judy. I've just been talking to, uh, to Toby Perkins, who took the seat off the Liberals in Chesterfield. Great for us. Took that back. That used to be Tony Benn's seat for people who don't remember that, and it went Lib Dem. It was Tony Benz, went Lib Dem, and we've managed to snatch it back again, and Toby fought a brilliant campaign, and I've just been talking to Toby about how we can work together and what we can do, so we're definitely on there, you know, we're not going anywhere. His campaign next time will just be, vote Liberal, get Tory, I suspect. Absolutely. Now tell me why Amber Valley went Tory and Chesterfield went Labour, what goes on? Uh, what goes on is that the Lib Dem uh, surge, I mean, they were just fighting against the Lib Dems, basically, not against the Tories. Mine was a Tory Labour um, fight with some Lib Dem and a very nasty BNP presence. No. And, and the, swing, uh, the swings in the East Midlands uh, on the Tory Labour seats were higher than in other areas like London. If I'd had a London swing, I'd still be an MP. But my, my swing was less against us than in my neighbouring seats. Now, the Guardian has been mocked in this building since the election for urging people to uh, vote Lib Dem, uh, only to find that the Lib Dems have now got under the duvet with the Tories. But we, we the paper did say, vote if it's a straight Tory Labour split, then vote, vote Labour. Is that what happened to you? Did, the not lib, enough, the by lib, the sound of it. The Lib Dem vote still went up slightly. And we also, we pushed back the BNP have got a couple of council seats, but they still did take, we've still got to push them back a bit further. The BNP vote isn't bigger than the amount by which you lost, is it? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes, it is. Oh, mm, that's a thought. Now, they've been joined by uh, a colleague, even I've introduced himself uh, to. Charles Walker from Broxbourne. Member of the Public Administration Select Committee in the last Parliament. Mm. Interesting committee. It was a fantastic committee, full of independent-minded people, which was great fun. we call them in the Whip's <laughs> office. Yeah, troublemakers. We were troublemakers, and we thoroughly enjoyed making trouble. And Tony Wright was the chairman, and he stood down, another Labour MP. You lose incumbency, you're more likely to lose the seat. That's the message, isn't it? Well, that was. I think that was our most remarkable result. I think it was number 119 on our target Canuck list. Chase Canuck Chase, Chase. Birmingham. Yeah. Actually, the point you make is absolutely spot on. I've worked this out, being the ARAC that I am. I think there were 30 seats that the Conservatives failed uh, to win on the 5.2% swing needed. And of those 30, only two 
didn't have incumbents and Wirral South and Chippenham oh, uh, interesting. Are, are either Labour yeah. or Labour and, and I think that actually that's the interesting thing that the phenomenon was after expenses everyone thought incumbency wouldn't be a benefit actually it, it could be and I think it's the, the lesson for all the new 233 MPs really build up you know particularly well, if you've got a short term yeah. for the election yeah. Judy you were going I mean, to say I, I definitely I had a good campaign people were really nice I had people who said we're Tory but we're voting for you and I did have a lower oh. swing against me than my neighbours so and I have to say my last two <laughs> letters my last two letters of sympathy one was from one of my leading local industrialists and the other was from some of my leading badger lovers but I have to say I've got one point about being on the public administration committee which is that you should be worried about the integrity of our system and this 55 percent uh Issue oh, she's causing trouble here. This is the idea that the, the, the d- trigger of a new parliament under the new five-year fixed terms can't be done unless you get 55% of MPs. A majority of one isn't enough. What do you feel about that, Charles Walker? Well, I've just been plastered all over the BBC this morning, and I think I'm going to be on the one o'clock news bulletin saying how unhappy I am about it and how that I will vote against it without hesitation. So Excellent. there you have it. Excellent. Oh, dear, I hope you get allocated one of those dreadful offices. Uh, I've uh, already the- got one of those dreadful offices. <laughs> no. Well, it'll teach you to defy the whips. Are we optimistic that the idea that backbenchers will be be more assertive, picking members of the select committee against the whips, that's part of the new order it's meant to be? Um, Backbenchers generally have been staffed to use the scientific phrase by the executive for far too long and I think we're going to be much more independent minded and we're going to remind our constituents why we're in parliament and that's to represent their interests first and foremost Mark Field have you been waiting by your phone or Blackberry for that Sir, call no, from no, no. number 10 they all wait Sir, no no certainly not no I've uh, the, the, the joy I have is obviously representing the city of London which of course now has some interesting uh, issues that we're going to be uh, facing in the, uh, the months ahead do, so do I infer from that that you are think it's your job to fight the city's case against foolish or unwise or counterproductive regulation rather than be on the other side trying to mitigate it? I think I've expected to uh, to have an independent mind on uh, matters for obviously the importance of the financial service industry in this country and uh, well, one hopes that uh, uh, the current government will uh, uh, do a better job than its predecessor has in this regard but uh, uh, no doubt if there are any problems I will um, be there at the forefront. Right, uh, I'm going to ask you one at a time. What's your advice to the new members? How to behave in these crucial first months where impressions matter? Judy Malabar. Um, get your office organised, which is quite difficult under the new system. <laughs> in Westminster sure or in the constituency? Both, both. Make sure that you're absolutely on top of it, that uh, you're getting those letters answered, you're dealing with cases. Just get around, see what's going on in your area, what the issues are that you've maybe not had as much chance to look at as uh, uh, during the campaigning hectic mode. And uh, make sure that you um, make your bid here for whatever you might want to do. If you want to go on a select committee, get in early, making people know that that's what you want or you know whatever position you want. Make sure that you're uh, making it clear straight off what you want. If you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah, I think that I would very much agree with that. If you don't ask, you don't get. You, you'll probably have to, particularly given how many new boys and girls there are, give over a third of the MPs, you need to have uh, fairly uh, sharp elbows. Um, but I think, um, above all, I mean, I, I do think that actually... The, Going back to what Charlie was saying, there needs to be a rebalancing between uh, the executive and, and backbenchers. I would like to see a move much more of a, a, a move in terms of the constitutional change towards a, a move towards a separation of powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would like to see, before the world is too much older, uh, that at a future general election you'll have two votes. You'll have a vote on the day for who you want to be the prime minister and a vote yeah. for who you want as your local MP. And I think in that would be a positive words, way forward. You're, you're saying explicitly a presidential man- m- m- mandate for 
We, we have that. I'm, I'm afraid that the TV debate. Listen, the whole this campaign was the TV debates. The, the two or three days in the run up to each debate, out, all it? the post mortem. So we're living in that world, and I think you need therefore to look at the role of Parliament in that context. Charles Walker, there's some plenty there for your committee to do. Absolutely. I think you should just be brave as a new member of Parliament and not be afraid to push back against authority and the executive. You're here to exercise an independence of mind. You're here to represent the views of your constituents. And you need to be their hero. And they, they desperately want heroes now in their members of Parliament. That's a good way in which to stop. Thank you all. See, that's interesting to me. You have three very different uh, types of MPs. Judy Malabar... Northern NHS official, Charles Walker, looks like something from the city. Mark Field, definitely from the city, and wearing what looked like very expensive brown suede winkle pickers, not the sort Geoffrey Howe used to wear when he was the hush puppy man. All of them chatting away, they've got a lot in common. They've all fought elections, and believe you me, people who've fought elections know what it's like. They know the, uh, the triumphs, and in Judy Malabar's case here, the disasters. I spoke yesterday in this building to a Labour MP, also defeated, called Darry Taylor. So sad, she was clearing her desk. Her pass still works until Sunday, then it'll no longer get her through the security system. She was clearing her desk. She said a most touching thing. She said, I didn't want to stand, you know. I only stood in my constituency because Gordon Brown asked me, he said, Dari, you may be able to hold it, nobody else will. Well, as you've probably read, defence has been quite a priority uh, this week of the new government. Uh, they've uh, appointed a National Security Council. It has an American ring, doesn't it? It's met one of David Cameron's priorities. William Hague, his new uh, foreign secretary, dashed off to Washington to uh, uh, build relations with uh, uh, the Obama administration. He's a bit cool towards the Europeans, Mr. Obama. He feels uh, uh, we've let him down. We've applauded his speeches, but we haven't uh, put our money or our troops where their mouth is. Don't forget he's born in Hawaii. He has a different view of the world, most American presidents. So Mr. Haig is off to uh, uh, talk to Hillary Clinton, a more traditional uh, Atlanticist. And uh, in the meantime, golly gosh, by happy coincidence, I've just spotted a familiar face. I think I know who it is, and you all know who it is. You used to see him uh, in a uniform uh, in the Balkans in the 90s. Yes, it's uh, Colonel Bob Stewart, now Bob Stewart MP. No regrets yet? No, I'm absolutely thrilled, and I've, um, I don't quite know exactly what I'm doing now, but one thing I'm sure of is that I'm going to grasp it with both hands and do my best. And you're going to like it, you think? Not I everybody th does. It's not I compulsory. Th I think I'm going to really enjoy it, actually. Um, you know, I'm older than most. How so old are you now? 60. So, uh, you looking, know. He's looking very well on it. <laughs> well, that's good. I think it, it's probably a dissolute life. Um, no, I, I think it's going to be fascinating... Um, the, the reason I've stood up for Parliament is fundamentally uh, I was asked to by soldiers uh, in Dece no, December 19, 2009. I gave a speech in Chester for the Army Benevolent Fund, which I'm wearing the wristband. Excellent. Um, and at the end of it, a lot of soldiers came up to me, ex-soldiers, and said, we think, sir, you should stand for Parliament. And it was clear from the way they were using the word sir, they weren't spelling it C-U-R, they were spelling it S-I-R, which is always interesting. Is that dumb insolence? Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't, certainly wasn't. I mean, they then said, um, I said, well, you know, you know, boys, if I stood, I've always been a Tory. Um, Did I that would... come as a shock to them? No, not at all. No, they, uh, most of them ha have different views and um, they don't really care. They're pretty 
um, shall we say, unpolitical. Yeah, and yeah. Um, bloody politicians, I, isn't yeah, it? Well, that's right. Now, well, you're, now you're one of the bloody politicians. Well, that's right. Well, I, I said, I said, well, I, I stand as a Tory. What do you think? And they said, we don't care whether you're Liberal, Labour, or Conservative. Have a go. And when David Cameron announced, in the middle of last year, that people who hadn't traditionally been members of a party could stand, I did so because I have been also chairman of action for armed forces which is representing the junior ranks in the armed forces all three services mm. for a long time and uh, at times i've been a talking head it wouldn't have been very sensible for me to have been member of a party now you've raised a point of perspective which i've been acutely aware of i first came here a long time ago when there were a lot of mps who had seen action in all parties world war ii korea subsequent actions chancellor of the exchequer was uh, a major dennis healy beach master at the anzio landings of 1943 it's all gone uh, Members used to be referred to the, the honourable and gallant gentleman. I think technically you are entitled to be so called, just as lawyers are the honourable and learned gentleman. Okay. Many people consider that to be old fashioned. But certainly the number of MPs with real military experience, which used to be so high as the World War II generation, still around in the 70s and 80s, all gone. So people like you are needed. Well, there's been lots of little wars recently, and if you look actually at the new intake of members of parliament, you'll find quite a lot, particularly on the conservative benches. Are sort of actually, TA? No, not, not, no, RAF, for example, uh, and army, and some ter territorial army too. And I mean, there's an increasing number of members of parliament that are, uh, I, I've spoken to se several who s thought that they might just actually do a bit of TA service in the the vacation out in Afghanistan and that's a great idea. And this is mainly uh, Gulf, Balkans, Afghan experience, a new generation because Michael Mates who's just retired, mm. Colonel Michael Mates was a significant figure in, in the uh, Queen's Room Guards. In, indeed so, but in Northern Ireland. I mean I think yeah. he uh, left uh, Northern Ireland, became a politician, yeah. uh, elected in 74 as I recall. Now he's gone. This is a new generation from new battlefields, new zones of conflict. Well there's still some old ones left because I did a number of tours in Northern Ireland. So yes, that's true. But I mean, let's face it, we, we are actually sending our young men and young women off to war and, and perhaps it is a good thing that there are more members of parliament from all, all sides who know... The politicians don't get it, do they? Well, and they felt uh, that particularly about Gordon Brown. Um, I don't know quite whether that, that's fair. They certainly feel that when politicians go out and visit them, uh, they, so they sometimes get it better um, when they're actually on the ground. Um, but uh, the truth of the matter is that the armed forces have been, until very recently, crying out for more things like equipment and actually more, more support uh, among the, t the top ranks in, in the government. And that doesn't seem to have happened until recently. Well, let's have a change of pace now. Uh, do you remember that the, I think it was the UKIP candidate, died in Thurston Moulton in North Yorkshire? When that happens, the election has to be postponed. Uh, one of the ballot paper is defective. So uh, I think we can safely say it's going to be a Tory win, but the election hasn't taken place. So David Cameron is short of a foot soldier. Martin Wainwright, The Guardian's indefatigable northern editor, has been along to test the water. Thurston Moulton is the Yorkshire, the North Yorkshire constituency which didn't vote on May the 6th because sadly the UKIP candidate died in the run-up to the election so they're voting on May the 27th and as such they're in a unique position to give 
the country's first verdict on the coalition arrangements. I've come to the constituency um, to Kirby Moorside, which is a very interesting little town. Superficially, it's a, a beautiful, a very beautiful market town on the edge of the North York Moors National Park with ravishing scenery around it. But it's also the centre of very highly specialised engineering. To start off with, I went into the King's Head pub to do a few soundings. I'm not, I'm not happy about it at all, this... I really feel it's uh, the the people that have voted. Uh, they didn't really vote for this kind of, you know, finishing up with this. It's always very difficult to know what people have voted for, isn't it? Because they vote for so many, th- you know, so many reasons. Yes, but, but uh, I, I do, I do feel it. I would have preferred a, an outright majority, yes, ruling by one party rather than this rather cobbled up. Are you prepared to give it a go? I mean, it, we. Oh, ha- yes, I would, and, mm. and uh, it'd be very nice to see it work. Good. Well, I'm with William Smith, who's a retired teacher, and uh, may, may I ask? You're going to have a chance, the first chance, really, of anybody in the country to vote on what's happened now that we've now got this coalition government. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what What's your immediate reaction, if I may ask? Well, I'm really much in favour of an old of an old boy who used to live round here. It's called Guy Fawkes. <laughs> oh, you're a, you're a total cynic, are you? <laughs> I am very cynical about policy. Don't, don't you think that this... Um, does this perhaps ease your cynicism a little bit, that it is highly unusual the way they're talking to one another, you know, they're sounding very uh-huh. rational? Well, the, I mean, I, I believe in a proper coalition with everybody in it, not just two of them. <laughs> oh, right, you'd like to well, get Labour to join. Yes, <laughs> yes, like, back to that. Yeah. Um, the Liberal Democrats have been put in such a position that they've had an enormous amount of power, which I don't think they should really... Not more than their vote really entitles. Exactly, exactly that, yeah. Sorry, and turning to your friend here. It's okay. I agree there, actually, with what she just said. Um, But but on the other hand, I think, why we can't come to terms with this country having a coalition, it's by far the... At the moment, I think it's by far the best thing to happen. Would would you be happy if they do get electoral reform through, then it'll become probably much more common having a coalition? And do do you think that actually might be quite a good thing? I mean, I think it would, but I know I'm in the minority here, but I don't care. I'm um, in um, Perry Slingsby uh, at Kirby Moorside with the managing director, isn't it, Uh, Kevin Kevin Taylor? Kevin Taylor. And for those of you who think Thurscombe Moulton is like all farms and beautiful countryside which indeed it is it's not just that because in front of me here is uh, the beginnings of a submersible a deep sea submersible of the kind which um at the moment kevin i'm right they've had a role in this um, trying to help bp haven't yes. they in this mexican yeah. thing yeah the uh we supplied uh, the company supplied some rvs to um, a number of clients over the last few years one of which i believe is hornbeck um and hornbeck are, are involved in working with BP and, and I'm assuming other subcontractors as well in, in, uh, in trying to solve the problem. And, and you've, you've also built um, a submersible here for NATO just recently and yes. uh, for the Chinese Navy. Yeah, the, the, the company has a long history in building uh, rescue submarines. Um, the the, the ROVs that you see here are unmanned. They are, they are flown from the surface and we'll, I can show you those later. But we also have a history of building some rescue submarines, 30 tonne size, 9, 10 metres long. And and when a a submarine gets involved in an incident um, at the submarines that we design and build, go and rescue the submariners. And there's 150 odd people working here in this, you know, you you couldn't have more specialised engineering and manufacturing than this. So in terms of 
politically, I'm not going to ask you, you know, party political questions, but a company like this, you know, they've been going on about we need stability mm -hmm. at a time like this. What, what's, what's your view? What would, you, what would you want to see from them? Well, from our point of view, our marketplace is worldwide. So obviously stable markets with stable levels of investment. One of the things that we find difficult to manage is peaks and troughs within, in, within the marketplace or within the, the global economy. Um, the last two, 18 months to two years has been tough. Um, we've seen quite a lot of um, capital investment being removed off the, off the table by the big oil companies and that filters down eventually to capital expenditure, pieces of equipment such as the ROVs. It ultimately gets down to us and, and impacts us and therefore impacts jobs and training and, um, and the like, not only in this business but in all other businesses in the region. Are you looking forward to getting some high-profile political figures here in the next week or two or <laughs> I mean can you take advantage of this this unique situation that, that Thurston Walton's not voted yet? Yeah I'd, li I'd like to think so I, I'm, I'm hoping that um, not only yours but also the, the guys across the road at Marshall Slingsby who we have a good relationship with I think in some cases it's it's making sure that people are aware of what companies like this need and, and, and actually we don't we don't need that much we just need incentives to train people get younger people in we're, we're quite keen in, in working with schools and universities, which we're doing. Um, and if we can get that those people into the organisation who are interested, then, then we can keep them working. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Well, we've come to the end of quite an extraordinary week. Older correspondents than me who were in this building when I was a teenager and remember the drama of the Profumo affair, the fall of the Macmillan government, call girls spies, sleaze, which we didn't then call it, said that was one of the greatest stories they ever covered. When I was here 20 years ago, the fall of Margaret Thatcher was like a great oak tree falling in the forest. And now we have something I never expected to see come as a quite a shock to me and to a great number of other people who live and work in Westminster, a LibCon coalition. The sort of thing, as James Forsyth said, people took for granted these sort of manoeuvres in the 19th century. We're back here again. What's it going to mean for the future? I haven't a clue. Sensible people haven't a clue. And I bet David Cameron and Nick Clegg, as they eye each other, facing each other across that cabinet table. We all saw it on the TV news uh, this week. They're not really as confident as they pretend that this is going to work, and if so, to whose best advantage? Labour MPs think maybe we're back with a chance. They could be horribly wrong too. Truth is, we're in unknown territory here, what Disraeli once called a leap into the dark. My God, what a leap. Uh, we'll talk again. This is Mike White. <laughs>